0: I want to begin this morning with a reading that's somewhat longer than those that we usually read, but I'm going to be reading from Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 12, beginning with verse 9 through the end of that chapter. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints and given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one to another. Mind not things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to talk about something for a few minutes this morning that I think is of interest to all of us. In fact, there has probably been more energy spent on this one thing than anything else in all of history. More energy has been expended on this subject than on the building of the Panama Canal. The constructing of the great pyramids of Egypt are creating the interstate highway system that crisscrosses this nation. There have been more tears shed on this one subject than have been shed on the ravages of poverty, the destruction of the World Trade Center, or a thousand other soap opera tragedies that you've witnessed on television. There's been more anxiety generated on this one issue than on being afraid of the dark, being fearful you might run out of money before the end of the month, and by what she might say the very first time you ask her out on a date. The central issue that I'm talking about is the great question of all the ages. Do they like me? Do they really like me? Deep down, if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with each other and we're honest before God, I suspect that all of us are bothered by this one thing more than anything else. Do the people I'm around, do the people I associate with, do the people I run with, do they really like me? Or do they just say things so they won't hurt my feelings? Well, I know I have some friends, I have some close friends, I have a few friends, but... What do those people say about me when my back is turned? What do they really think of when they think about me? Oh, I want everybody to like me. Isn't that the sentiment that all of us have? I remember reading a story about a young boy in junior high school. And you know, junior high school is an age where Kids can be more cruel to each other than any other age almost. And this young boy took his lunch to school every day. And he wanted a new lunchbox. And his mother insisted, son, you have a perfectly good lunchbox. You don't need a new one. But he was embarrassed to take his cartoon character lunchbox to junior high school. He tried to convince his mother. He said, Mom, it's just not cool to carry a Mickey Mouse lunchbox when you're in junior high school. It was okay when I was a little kid. But now I'm in junior high, Mom. I'm a big kid. And he would go to lunch and he would do his best to hide that Mickey Mouse lunchbox and keep other people from seeing it. Because he knew if they saw his Mickey Mouse lunchbox, they wouldn't like him. And they'd make fun of him. Now, looking over this group right now, most of us are at an age that we think it's really silly that he was bothered that much by a Mickey Mouse lunchbox. And truthfully, when I used to carry my lunch to school, we had a brown paper sack that I carried mine in. And let those kids say what they want to about his lunchbox. We can say that from our perspective. Because we're not in junior high school carrying a Mickey Mouse lunchbox. But I would venture to say this morning, and I would be willing to say it's true for most, if not all of us, that we've had some kind of a lunchbox issue recently in our own lives. We've had something going on that we felt like probably kept everybody from liking us. And being mature adults, in our very mature manner, we tried our best to hide it. And it may not be a Mickey Mouse lunchbox, but it's probably something just as Mickey Mouse. Something just that insignificant has taken on enormous proportions in our lives, and we just know it keeps people from liking us. Maybe it's our appearance. Maybe we're just a little bit heavier. In the case of some of us, maybe we're a whole lot heavy. I have mirrors at my house. And we're afraid people won't like us because of it. Or maybe our clothes aren't as stylish as those that other people wear. Or maybe it's the car we drive or the family we have or the house we live in or our job. Or is it just me? Is it just you? Just can't think of witty things to say when I'm around people. I just can't meet and greet people like other folks can. Have I hit anything? Do you recognize anything there? If not, I could go on because I'm sure I could find something for all of us. You see, here's the thing: we want everybody to like us. It's one of our great expectations. It's one of our fondest dreams. Well, guess what? It ain't going to happen. If you want everybody to like you, and if you think it's realistic to think that can ever happen, then you are totally out of touch with reality. The truth is this. Having everyone like us, Is not something that's completely under our control. There are going to be people that just will not take to us. And it's not just us and the way we do things, it's the peculiar quirky nature of other people, Leon. And there's some folks you can't please no matter what you do. Here's what Paul said in Romans 12, 14. Bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. Did you catch that? There's going to be persecutors. It's a given. It will happen. There are going to be folks that just don't like you. I read a story about a student many years ago at Cambridge University in England. He went to class and he met his professor, a Dr. Thomas Fell. Dr. Fell was an excellent teacher. He knew his subject and he was quite confident. But for some reason, this student did not like Dr. Fell. He just didn't, and that was that. So one day the student wrote a little piece of poetry that stuck around through the years. And it's a piece of poetry still teaching us a lesson. I do not like thee, Dr. Fell, the reason why, I cannot tell. But this I know, and know full well, I do not like thee, Dr. Fell. Folks, it's just that crazy. Do you want everybody to like you? Do I want everybody to like me? Is it important to you? Is it important to me? Get over it. It won't happen. Paul is very realistic when he says down here in verse 18, If it be possible, as much as life in you live peaceably with all men. If it's possible... So far as it depends on you or me. But just remember, it's not all you. It's not all what you do. The crowd cannot be controlled. The crowd is unpredictable. What you and I can do, what can we do? About this need we sometimes feel to have everybody like us. There are four truths from God's Word I want us to look at this morning very briefly. And I think these things will help us deal with our anxiety over this desire to have other people like us. We've got to live. We've got to love. We've got to let go. And we've got to leave it to God. We've got to live. And that is, we must live with integrity. Paul says, Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. That means we determine what God wants and what God does not want. And we live by that. What does that have to do with you being universally liked, you ask? If we're going to live by our principles, will that make other people like us? Will that make us popular? Not usually. But it will earn respect. The first step toward being a likable person is to be a person that other people can respect. Because when other people respect us, They know that we're going to be true to our principles no matter what happens. They'll know that we'll be true to our principles and we are people that can be trusted. There might be some in their crowd that they're running with that live in immorality and live in the shady areas of life. They might be a fun crowd to run with. And that might look like the place to be and it might look like the in crowd, the people to be with. And it might seem if you're not part of that group, folks are going to laugh at you. But let the day come when someone's in trouble. And they're not going to turn to those who've lived without principles and without integrity and without honesty. They're going to want someone whose principles have been obvious in the way that they've lived. They're going to want someone who has held on to things that were good. Let the day come when those that have lived among those that are fast and loose really need a friend. And they'll turn to somebody they can trust before they turn to someone who's played fast and loose not only with the truth but with life itself. Live. Live. Live according to the principles God wants us to live by. Live with integrity. And we've got to love. And we've got to love by choice. What does that mean? To love by choice? Well, sometimes it means doing more than what we feel like doing in our gut. It means that we decide to do what love commands Rather than what all those self-centered feelings we have tell us to do. Take a look at verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another. With brotherly love and honor preferring one another. That means we scramble to reach out to other people. We don't sit around and wait for them to reach out to us. Now look at verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. And giving, being given to hospitality. But what does that mean? That means loving by choice. That passage doesn't say if someone gives you a gift, you need to give them one. And that passage doesn't say, I guess I owe him or her a favor, or I owe him or her some attention. It says just give to others. Find a way to love others even, are you listening? Even if they don't love you. Now drop down to verse 20. If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. That's where it gets tough, isn't it? That's where the rubber meets the road. We're choo- we are to choose to love. We love by choice. Now we're prone to think about love and we think, well, love is a, a feeling. It's something that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy all over. Guess what? That's not it. Love is action, love is a choice. And insofar as it depends on me, insofar as it depends on you, love them by your own choice. It may not be today or tomorrow or next week, but someday there'll be a response. We live with integrity. We love by choice. This one's hard. We let go. Now maybe you don't find that hard. But sometimes I do. We let go of negative thoughts, critical speech, and cutting words. We have to let go of living out of the negative stuff that builds up. Look again at verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant, Paul said in prayer. No matter how much heavy-duty negativism there is around me, I'm going to let go of it and take joy in every shred of hope. Some suffering is going to come. It's going to happen. And people are going to put us down. And sometimes people are going to say mean things about us. And sometimes they're going to criticize us unjustly without knowing all the facts. And quite honestly, they don't really care what the facts are. And people are going to forget all those times in the past you might have been there for them. And they're going to focus on that one time you weren't. Accept it. Deal with it. Be patient. Move on. It will pass. Now look at verse 14. Oh, this is tough now. Are you listening to it? Bless them that persecute you. Bless And curse not. I have a question. Does the word defensive mean anything to you? It means we have this inherent need inside of us for other people to think we're right. Defensive means that not only do we want to set the record straight, But when we set the record straight, we want to make sure we ridicule and put down people that might think otherwise. Being defensive means we just don't let go of the emotional baggage that's in us. But we take that emotional baggage and, oh, we nurse it. And we keep it. And we hold on to it. And we make an issue out of it. And that's an easy thing to do. It's easy to be defensive. And it's tempting. Often it's very tempting to let go with a barrage of complaint and criticism. But here's the reality. When we give in to that temptation to tell others off, And we give in to that temptation to let our negative feelings be aired. We have accomplished absolutely, exactly nothing. And oftentimes we're too quick to want to give other people a piece of our mind, and we don't have any despair. And all we succeed in doing is putting greater distance in relationships. God's Word says, let it go. Let go of the negative, self-serving stuff. And then we get to the real heart of the matter. We leave it with God. Often we're working so hard to to please others that are likely going to repay us by snubbing us, or making life tough for us, or... Even asking, not, maybe not verbally, but asking, what have you done for me lately? Beloved, we have an option. We have the option of working to please God. God who's faithful. God who has love for us. And God who will love us to the very end. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves but rather give place unto wrath. For it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We've got to leave room for the justice of God. We've got to leave room for God to do what God does. You and I don't have to manage it all. God will take care of it. We've just got to leave room for His justice. There's the gospel. Here's the gospel. You are liked. You are loved. You are liked and you are loved by God, your Creator. God, who in Jesus Christ proclaimed His love for you and for me throughout all time, You and I are loved by Jesus Christ, who loved us enough to die for us. And that's what counts. And that's what matters. And that's the good news. Now, there may be some folks out there you really wish would like you. And maybe they will if you live in integrity, love by choice. Let go of negativism. But even if they don't, leave it to God. Because here's the real crux of the matter. Regardless of anybody else on the top side of this earth, God loves you. And God loves me. So what we need to do is forget the energy that we spend on worrying or being anxious about whether everybody will like us. You're a child of God. God loves you. I'm a child of God. God loves me. If you have shed tears because somebody doesn't like you, dry them up. You belong to Christ. Think about this. We lose sight of it. If God loves me, if God loves you, what does it really matter whether those of this world care for us or not? If God loves us, that's all that really matters. So we need to just release the anxiety we've cooked up Because here's what matters. What matters is to be acceptable to God. To love God the way God loves us. And to live God's kind of life. And I don't know what kind of life you've lived and are living. Maybe you need to make changes to be living God's kind of life. And if you do, then we can help you make those changes. This is your opportunity to come and let that be made known as together we stand and while we sing.